turn to Psalm 121, verse 4 through 8. I'm going to share with you some things that actually came out of a devotion that we had in our I don't call it a staff meeting. That sounds like more like an effect, infection. Like our team meeting. I like to call it a team meeting. We've got enough infection around here. My wife actually gave the devotion, and um, the catalyst for it was, was, it was interesting because in a lot of ways, we are 100% opposites. I am a morning person. I get up real early, and uh, I'm obnoxious. I like to pray, I like to talk, I like to write, I like to read, I like to talk. But that, that, <laughs> well, th- I'll tell you, when it gets to be 9.59 p.m., I'm done. Actually, that's not true. I turned 60, now it's 8.59. <laughs> I don't know what happened, I lost an hour. At 59, it was 9.59. At 60, it's 8.59. And I just absolutely zone out. I'm not a night person. But I am a morning person. My, my wife is a night person. There are times when I've been in bed and woke up and as God is my witness, 4 o'clock in the morning, I go downstairs and she's cleaning the thing that the, pan, the pans are on over the uh, island in the kitchen. Like it's middle of the day. She comes alive at night. It's crazy. But that's when she prays. That's when she seeks the Lord. That's when she reads her scripture. I guess it's okay, I, you know. It actually is okay. We're going to talk about, more about our devotional life in a few weeks. But she got me thinking about this subject. And, and I want to deal with it a little bit. Because I think it, it interfaces with where some people are. Some of us will be. And there are people in our life who are in this position right now that we need to minister to. Right? So it's relevant for all of us. The scripture I just referenced goes like this. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Uh, there was a, a verse of scripture so many years ago I heard in a sermon and it, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks that God actually speaks to us in our slumber. <laughs> I, I guess he does that because if we're so busy during the day, he can't get our attention, he might as well just drop a few, few lines on us during the night. And I soon learned not long after that that if the last thing you do before you go to sleep is read the scripture, it'll be the first thing on your mind throughout the night. And you give God some, somewhat of a context in which to speak to you. So some of us may be morning people and some of us may be night people, but God is omniscient and omnipresent. He's all the time, everywhere. And his ministry doesn't dissipate. It's not like he goes to Southeast Asia and ministers to those people and picks us up in the morning. He's ministering to all of us all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he does that in the darkness of night. Now, darkness, as my wife aptly pointed out, is used as a synonym oftentimes for ignorance or sin, evil, even death. And rightly so. The Bible does deal with darkness in that way. But there are other ways that God uses darkness. And I want you to be aware of these 
I want to make you aware of these because some of us, either now or perhaps in the future, may be going through a dark time. These things come at us. They're inevitable in a fallen world. We're going to lose a loved one. We're going to lose our resources, perhaps. Hope not. We're going to lose favor. We're going to have situations. We're going to be betrayed. And if you stick in there long enough, I can guarantee you, you're going to be persecuted. There's going to be trying dark times ahead. We're not immune from them. And Jesus actually promised us them. So we might as well get a, get a, a hold on. There, this is not heaven on earth here. We've got some challenges to face. So in darkness, we need to know how God operates. And we, know how to, we need to know how to minister to someone else who's going through a challenging time. All right, the first one I'm going to bring up is that my wife brought up is Abraham receives a divine promise. God cuts a, a, a covenant with Abraham at night. It causes darkness to come over Abraham. Darkness will give us um, sometimes what it is we need the most. Helplessness. You see, in a covenant, there's a strong party and a weak party. We're the weak party. And there are times when we need to be weak, when we need to be actually idle, only in receptive mode, not in talking mode, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Sometimes we're snow globes, and when you shake those things up, you have to wait for the snow to dissipate before you can hear anything, see anything, do anything, create anything, get any kind of problem solving going on in your head. We need that still quiet. And quiet sometimes isn't enough. Sometimes God brings darkness. And Abraham, the weaker of the two in the covenant, was brought to a place of utter helplessness. In fact, he might as well have been in a coma. He was asleep. Sometimes we need to be immobile, asleep, inactive, and doing absolutely nothing for God to have the room and the wherewithal and the luxury of working on us and working out for our good. Now, I know that's not American. But God's not American. Sometimes you don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. Sometimes you just have to be still. And he brings Abraham to this place. Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. In other words, what God's going to do is give, he's going to give him a legacy. He's going to be a father of many nations. What is Abraham's role in this and having this promise bestowed upon him? Nothing. He's totally idle. He's in the dark, literally in the dark. He can't see, can't talk. God promises him something and he's not participating in the promise. And as the sun was setting, Abraham fell in a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. We don't have to see everything to believe. You may be going through a challenge, a difficult time. It's a little dark. You can't see your way out of it. But God is making a promise to you or has already made a promise that you can claim in your dim, dark, idle, passive state. And in a relationship with Christ, every now and again, I think we need to practice this principle of being 100% passive. 
waiting on the Lord so he could renew our strength. We can mount up with, things as, with, with uh, wings as eagles, okay? Sometimes, not all the time. You know, those, if you don't work, you don't eat. But there is a place in your spiritual walk with Christ that necessitates stillness, silence, darkness, not in an evil way, but an incapacitation. And we ought to trust God and lean on him from time to time from that posture of absolute helplessness. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's biblical. In fact, God did it. Now, granted, Abraham did have to participate in bringing about offspring. That's the good news, too, by the way, especially if you're a man. But there was a time when the promise came when he did absolutely nothing. Jacob wrestles with God throughout the night. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let go, for it is daybreak. Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's kind of brazen, isn't it? That's a little brazen. I like it. Like he's wrestling. The man is God. He's wrestling with God in the darkness. Holding on. You see, not only do we, are we passive and still and silent and quiet at times, but there is this time when you hold on and you don't let go. You hold on to the horns of the altar in the midst of the midnight hour, and you're there for the long haul, however long it takes. See, night is coming when no man can work, but daylight comes in the morning, and you got to hold on. See, the darkness that God does work in, the divinity that works in the darkness is, is the, the participation of the Holy One in times when we need to learn something, therefore we're enveloped in the darkness. Not evil, but a lack, a time of lack, a time of confusion, a time of despair, a time of loss. All the times that exist and the seasons that exist in Ecclesiastes 3 because we live in a fallen world will be bestowed upon us at times. And sometimes we're passive and sometimes we just hold on for dear life. And that's all we can do. You grab the horns of the altar and you don't let go and say, bless me. Not until you bless me. Not until you bless me. Not until you bless me. That's a relationship in the New Testament context that's rooted and established in the blood of Jesus Christ. When he shed his blood for us, nothing can make that relationship tenuous. The blood is powerful. It's binding. It's covenantally strong. It's eternal. It can't be taken away. And we can have and afford to have a relationship at times when not like Abram when we're silent, but like Jacob when we can hold on and be bold and come boldly to the throne of grace because the blood has bound us to him. We're not going to say anything that's going to compromise the friendship. We're not. We can't. The blood's too strong. Therefore, our relationship with him can be honest. It can be wrestling-like. It can be holding on. It can be almost, respectfully, almost demanding a blessing. That's how strong the blood is. This is what I see missing in a lot of people's walk. The blood is diluted. It's not life-giving. It's a religious construct more than a reality. 
Listen, when the blood of Jesus Christ was shed, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and the sin that you had was separated as far as the east is from the west, put in a sea of forgetfulness, there is nothing that can hinder that relationship between the two of you. That blood is strong enough to withstand any kind of conversation. Test it. Have that freedom to test it. And hold on. Bear hug them. You may end up with a broken hip, but you're going to get a blessing. Bear hug them. Don't be timid. God did not give you a spirit of timidity. And I think on some level, when you keep awe, respect, and the fear of the Lord in mind, there's a relationship with him where you grow into where there is not so much timidity. His blood is strong. That's Jacob. Show some, listen to me now, this is for somebody here. It's time for you to show and demonstrate and verbalize a spiritual tenacity. God would expect you on some level at some point in time in the 30 plus, 40 plus years you've been walking with him to have a spiritual tenacity, a confidence, a holy confidence. He's waiting on that. Now he'll put you in a dark place if you need to wrestle about over it. He'll do that. He wants it that bad for you and for me. Death passes over the Israelites with blood on their doorposts. When? Middle of the night. When they were susceptible to the spirit of death going over the land, but consecrated from the punitive effects of it by what? The blood on the doorpost of their homes. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you in the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. We can have a confidence with Christ knowing that we're covered in the blood. We don't have to worry about things that the people of the world have to worry. We don't have to question certain things. We don't have to be fearful of certain things. We don't even have to fear death, right? The world's trying to figure out how how they're going to endure this death thing. Death is not a thing for us. To be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. The blood. Any dark time you pass through, any challenging time that you pass through, the blood protects you. There's a bloodline round about you. Live with that awareness and that reality. God provides a way through problems. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord dove the sea back, drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Why is he doing these things at night? 
because they probably most question and feel most vulnerable and most open to attack and probably most open to God's intervention. There's something about the night that's kind of scary. See, when you're in a dark time, he seems to provide a way where there seems to be no way. You didn't see it coming. You couldn't have guessed it. You can't even make this stuff up. I remember talking to somebody in this church a while back. I mean serious financial trouble. I mean like serious. Tough time. It was a learning experience. It was having to to eat your pride. uh, There was a lot of things going on. We started praying. He was in the middle of the night wondering what was going to happen if he kept bleeding money like he was bleeding money. And he could see far enough into the future to realize this does not end well if this bleeding doesn't stop. And he had purchased some many years ago something, I won't go into detail what it was, but there were so few of them, and they were so, uh, appeared to be antiquated and unwanted by anybody, and somebody approached him out of the blue and gave him big money for it. It was something that you thought he would have thrown away or just discarded. Someone came and gave him big money for it. And I thought to myself, my gosh, are you kidding me? I didn't see that coming. Nobody would have saw that coming. Big money. He is the way. And he makes a way. And when he who is the way makes a way, he stays in the way. So you go through it with him. Whether it's financial calamity or the Red Sea, it doesn't matter. He's with you in it. I just made that up. Sounded pretty good. Moses said to the people, Exodus 20, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Wow. Wow. If ever there's a time in my lifetime... And I'm a very young man. When this country is as void as the fear of the Lord as it is right now. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Sometimes we empower Things, pursuits, um, this, the perceived safety and comfort of our abundance. We empower our way of life, our nation, our reputation, our democracy. We empower our own, and maybe even romanticize sometimes, or overestimate our own abilities. And when we do that, What we lack is a fear of God, and we have a greater reverence and respect for these constructs in our life that somehow have become more important than him. Something we just confessed earlier. And when we do that, we lose the awe of God. 
We live in a nation at present that has lost the awe of God. And God perceives that, and in the darkness, he speaks. Because everything that we come to trust, we usually can see. Some trust in horses, some in chariots, some trust in the name of the Lord our God. We like to trust in things we see. And he will make it known to you or to anyone or to mankind that he can be not seen and have not the same authority, the same influence, but greater authority and greater influence. And scare the Levitar out of you. Said a better way, scare the sin out of you. That's part of his spiritual DNA, as we read here. That's a lesson you want to learn quickly. You don't want to linger all night long, night after night. Revivals like the Welsh Revival, where the Spirit of God came upon Wales in such a thick, heavy abundance when men would walk out of saloons and fall on their knees in the street and repent of their drunken lifestyle, and dock workers day after day after day would return stolen tools that they had taken over the years from their employers, the employers had to stop them. They had no more place to put the tools. That is an awe that comes in the night. I hope it's an awe we are not in need of. I hope it's an awe the world is in need of. But that's a lesson you need to learn really quick. That we can talk about grace and friendship and mercy and trust and love and affection all day long, but not at the expense of a reverent, respectful fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. Without a fear of the Lord, we don't have wisdom and knowledge. We eat of the tree of knowledge. And the knowledge has nowhere near the power we think it does. And we don't have wisdom. In our nation right now, there is, in many respects, a spirit of divisiveness. Jesus says, a house divided cannot stand. There's a spirit of lawlessness. I don't know. <laughs> you, you almost have to follow this stat like you would an athletic team. I don't know if we've had a mass shooting every day this year, but I know we made it through January pretty much with one every day. Spirit of lawlessness, where we just slay one another, slay the innocent, slay children. Spirit of divisiveness, a spirit of lawlessness, and a spirit of idiocy. I've had my fill of listening to idiocy. Don't want it anymore. I hear it from every place in our culture. Reverent awe. If you're ever wondering what it is you need in your life to re-jumpstart your walk, I guarantee you it has something to do with awe and respect. I guarantee you. And I speak for myself as well. Please. God provides awe. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. God births things in the night. There's something about, maybe my wife has picked up on this. There's something about the nighttime where there is the absence of distraction, hurriedness, nonsense, superficiality, sentimentality. But it's in the night when it's quiet. That's when we hear the best. That's when we birth things. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? You birth things. You bring labor to things. You contract, have contractions over an idea or an approach or an aspect of God or perception of who he is. When our mind is most clear, and oftentimes this happens in the night, God birthed his son and slipped into humanity incarnate in the night. I'm starting to think I'm missing out on the whole aspect of a walk with God. I'm at 859. I'm, I'm dying here. I'm missing out. And that's why God made a nap. I am now one of the biggest fans of the ministry of napping I've ever heard of before. It gets me to 10, and I may pick up a few of what I'm preaching about here. It wasn't supposed to be funny. Just kidding. Jesus agonized during the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Christ discovered selflessness in the night. He also discovered an arrest, an incredibly hurtful betrayal, times three. In a kangaroo court, that was a joke. Selflessness. Selflessness. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, which is selfishness, but walk in selflessness. Be who God called you to be. Be truly true to yourself. Who he's, what he's done in your life. Be honest about who he is, who you are, who you're not. And let him work with that. And bring no attention to yourself and what you give or how you pray or how you fast. Selflessness. No self-promotion. If that becomes a part of our MO, God may dim the lights a bit for you to understand that there's a different approach as you follow your Lord that is steeped and marinated and dripping with selflessness. If I look at my own marriage, I look at counseling for 25 years with married couples, I would say one of the top three prime suspects for harming a relationship Selfishness. And I have two professional counselors nodding their head. God bless you. Selfishness. If you find yourself in a nighttime season, 
pull this sermon back up. One of these things, two of these things, three of these things are probably pretty spot on to what God's trying to teach you and mold and shape you for you are the clay and he's the potter. Let's be open. Let's be open. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Loneliness is a killer. Just prayed over widows today. Don't think that that emptiness and that void in your home, in your mind, in your heart, in your family, around the Christmas tree isn't a real one. And we worship a Lord today that was more alone than anyone has ever been on the face of the earth. Forsaken by his Father when our sin became one with him. And the Holy Father, without spot or blemish, in perfection, pristine Father, could not defile himself with your sin and my sin in his son and forsook him on the cross. Jesus knows loneliness. The loneliness started in Gethsemane and pretty much stayed that way throughout the cross. He knows lonely. It's one thing to be alone. I thoroughly enjoy being alone. But loneliness, this is a different story. He knows loneliness. In the nighttime, which if you haven't picked up on it yet, could be in the middle of the day for you. It's a metaphor. He's as near as he's ever been. He's as accessible as he's ever been. He's as friendly and compassionate as he's ever been. When you're in... (laughs) that period of time when you're trying to consider if you're going to willfully sin, when you're being tempted and you're tired and you're weak and you're trying to say, am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? And then you find yourself halfway into it and you feel as alone as you've ever felt and you should, he's there. It was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The tomb was dark, more ways than one. How was it a good darkness? How was it not an evil darkness? There's a good darkness. How was it a good darkness? I had a couple hours, three hours, I afternoon one the other day. It cost me twelve ninety nine, but I bought it. I thought that's a lot of money. I've already seen the movie, but I, I paid for it again. Now, is it an Oscar-winning movie? Is it the best film of nineteen ninety-two, three, or whatever it was? No. But I knew that if I watched that movie, it would get me into my own tomb. That movie had an effect on me. I don't know why. Something of the word in it. It's War Room. I paid $12.99 for War Room. (laughs) 
and it was worth a hundred because it got me back in that closet, that tomb, that alone place. Go into your prayer closet. Many years ago, I used a, a prayer shawl over a couple right here, as a matter of fact, to, to demonstrate that need to be alone with God. I suggest you maybe take that to heart and move on that, act on that. Find a prayer closet, make one. Physically, find a room in your house, something. I don't care what it is. Put a prayer shawl over yourself and get alone in a place where nothing else can influence you, you start living from the inside out, not the outside in. There it is. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Sometimes in our life, we get to the point where we don't know what we think or believe anymore. We don't know what, well, the whole nation, is, there's, there's so much confusion. God's not the author of confusion. There's, wherever you see confusion, there's not, God's not, doing, no, he's not bringing that about. Unless it is of an enemy that's directly attacking his church, he can bring about confusion. Then they end up attacking themselves. That's an Old Testament principle. But when you find yourself like wondering and doubting and confused and in a weird place and you feel estranged and lethargic and you're just kind of in a general malaise of just mediocrity, you don't have a spiritual acuteness or sensitivity, you don't have a longing to worship or love or read the word, if you're just dullened, when you can't see, expect something huge. I mean, the guy pretty much wrote the majority of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he never did see until he was struck blind. Something huge is going to come out of your absence of real understanding of direction if you just still yourself and listen. It's going gonna, it's gonna to incorporate something like confession and repentance and sorrow in awe. But God will give you direction. He'll bring you out of that. Because he wants you out of that. As our worship team comes back up. There's certain skills or certain level of awareness we need to maintain in our walks with Christ. And oftentimes these things come up because of the context of the world in which we live in. We need to know how to battle, how to face certain things, how to discern certain things in a, in a wayward world. This is one of them. Knowing how to act, what to say, what not to say, how to, how to, how to pursue the Lord in the nighttime when everything's not as obvious. You can't see your way through everything and you can't figure it out on your own and you don't have the mental capacity or the intellect to figure it out. <clears throat> and you're brought to a place of passivity and trust and waiting on God. I highly suggest, highly suggest, you continue to develop in that area of your life because the need for it is only going to increase. Otherwise, it becomes very difficult to differentiate the born-again Christian from the world. And that's where you get into serious, serious, serious trouble.
And it may not be where we're always speaking, defending, and yelling. It may not be what we think it is. We may not see that the real thing to do is to say nothing and only speak of what you're for, not who you're against. You never know how God's going to magnetize the church of Jesus Christ for a world that is absolutely perishing. And we need to know what that's like. And sometimes he'll give us a taste of the nighttime to further perfect that understanding. On a personal level, on a marital level, on a family level, a community level, a church level, a region, a state, a country, or the world. These are things we have to understand that we don't see everything. We don't know everything. And just because we've been through something before doesn't mean we use the same way to go through it again. There's lessons to be learned. And that's what makes this life with Christ exciting on this earth. But know this. Night is coming when no man can work. There's work to be done. There's people out there. They're putting up a good front, but they're hurting, and they're confused, and they're scared, and they're freaking out. They need someone in their life that knows what to do in the darkness. Let's pray. Birth something. Teach us to hold on or to let go. Teach us to stand on your promises. Teach us to be passive, waiting, still, silent, quiet. Teach us, Lord, the power of a prayer closet. Show us what we need to know, when we need to know it, and let our faith not just be visual, but a trusting on that which is not yet seen. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You've got about six minutes before everything changes and we get back to going nuts out there. Think about such things as you listen to the words of this song. Still yourself, my friend. Still yourself. And listen. Listen.